Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Sorry, I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. We're rocking and rolling, here we go. This is series two of My Career Crisis, back by popular demand. I've never, ever said that before. And I'm serious, Sue, <laughs> we're popular. So you say, so you say. Um, we've had 17 five-star ratings on iTunes and it's keeping us on the homepage and it's so exciting. And the one thing that we've uh, that, that everyone said is that we want to hear more. So here we are. We are back with more. Uh, I'm Ruth Barnes. Thank you for all your lovely comments. Um, Seaside Scribe said, feeling stuck? You need this podcast. Interestingly, Sue, she said, drawn in by episode four of series one, which was Hattie's story. I think a lot of people got came in by Hattie's story. She said she too had faced loss um, and she's raising a child with disabilities while trying to build a successful career for herself as well. She binge listened to the whole series, which is music to my ears. Um, down to earth advice, inspiration and thought provoking content. Well, thank you for your lovely words, Seaside Scribe. Um, and of course, that thought provoking content certainly doesn't come from me. That comes from Sue. Hello, Sue. Hello. Yes, Back for more. I can't believe they want more of me, but there you go. There's no accounting for taste. <laughs> believe it. Um, and we've we've not seen each other all summer, and I've got something to thank you for, which is that I... <clears throat> sorry, Nikki. <clears throat> which is that I uh, sent a very forceful email with you on my shoulder <laughs> to a, a place that I do some voice work for who've been treating me quite badly, um, and I, I wrote the email and then I took out all the sorries and I'm afraids and I just wanted to let you knows. And it was the most forceful email I've ever written in my life. And not only did they get back to me saying that they really value me and they want me to stay on, but they've offered me a better job, better commitment. And I'm very happy. As oh, a result. Well done. So well thank done. you. I mean, when, when we say a forceful email, all we there is absolutely no excuse for rudeness or disrespect. But the idea is that you are factual, you take out the emotion and the apology, and you make the point. That's all you can do. Shall we head into our first uh, episode proper of My Career Crisis? Our first crisis, Sue, overqualified and underpaid. Our guest is Ellie. Ellie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, deciding to take a year out is a huge decision. Uh, to jack in your job, travel the world or to study. 
Ellie's 27 and has taken two years in her, uh, has taken two breaks in her career, one to do an MA and one to go travelling for a year. It's these mind-expanding ventures, however, that seem to be hindering her as she faces her late 20s, still only earning a sort of starter salary, hugely overqualified in a junior role. Um, so Ellie, welcome to the pod. Is that Was that right, what I've just said? Yeah. Yes, more or less. Um, yeah, I'm kind of stuck in an entry-level job that I have too much experience for. Um, and I think potentially it's not, it's maybe me that's the problem rather than the situation because I think the gaps in my CV created like a bit of a confidence issue for me. So then I, I went to apply for a job and I thought I better go back entry level again because people are going to say, oh, what's this gap? What's that gap? And I think then I thought, oh, I'll have to go in and start again. Um, and and that hasn't been as easy as I potentially thought it might be. Can you say a bit more about it's not been as easy? What do you mean by that? Um I didn't realise how frustrated I would get being back in an entry-level position, being the most junior person in the department, having managed a portfolio previously. So my first job, I rose quite quickly through the ranks, did two and a half years in the same place. Um, and I thought, yeah, when I, leaving that, I thought, oh, I've got a lot of experience now. I carried on freelance all the time that I was travelling and doing my MA. And I thought, oh, you know, the career will build from here. But I'm finding that I'm even though I've got all of this five years of experience, I'm I'm back at the bottom of the ladder and I didn't realise how much I would dislike that. Mm. But you did, that was quite intentionally, it was your decision to go back mm. at, the, at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, why was it when you had all that experience? I think I was worried that I needed to be earning straight away. So as soon as I came out of my MA, I thought, oh, I'll go for the lower down jobs because I'm more likely to get them. And um, that's going back to the confidence thing, I think, instead of going for, oh, so if a job title had senior in it, I thought, oh, I can't do that. I've, I've got all these gaps on my CV kind of thing. Um, Can I jump in very quickly about these gaps on the CV? Mm. Sue, how do you deal with gaps on the CV? And are gaps on your CV such a bad thing if you set, you know, detail what those gaps no, are? No, it's all about the narrative. It's all about the narrative, the, what, why you have the I mean and, and you say gaps you know I mean if I was um on an interview panel and I was interviewing you um obviously if there were gaps in employment I would ask you about them mm-hmm. and everything depends on how you say it you know mm-hmm. so if you say I worked incredibly hard for two and a half years worked my way up to much more responsibility but I felt whilst I didn't have a mortgage I didn't have responsibilities now would be a really good time to go and travel. And mm-hmm. let's face it, you were saying to me earlier that you only did it for four months. It's not like you took three years mm. off. So you had four months. And then you can say, but now I'm, 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 I've done that. Mm. And especially if you didn't do things like a gap year. Mm. See, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. But now I'm coming back, I'm refreshed, ready to get into the fray again. And if you say that with confidence, but I mean, I think the issue here is underconfidence. Mm. It's not about gaps in mm-hmm. CVs because you're, you're saying, uh, you know, how do I explain this? But it's you. You've really hit the nail on the head. I think it's more about how you see things mm-hmm. rather than the way other people see things. And I think when I do get into an interview, I'm fine. I'm perfectly confident talking about it. But I think it's that reading my CV that I'm worried about, like sending that into people and them thinking, oh, she hasn't worked consistently since 2014. What, what has she been doing? Um, do you not do you not detail what you've been doing? I, I, I don't, actually. I've never thought of that. Um, why not? Yeah, Why not? Yeah. Because, right, so let's just separate out CVs, applications and interviews. Mm-hmm. Right. So the job of a CV or an application form is to get you in front of people. That's all it's there to do. Mm-hmm. Right. What I have noticed over the years, and this is, I mean, right, so warning, gross general um, sexual stereotype coming up. 
But in my experience, women are much more likely to be much more honest in, in a CV or an application form than a man is. And when I say honest, I don't want anybody to lie on a CV or an application form. But what women do is they give you information you really don't need and it's a weapon to use against them. Mm-hmm. What kind of information would that be? So, you know, what I've seen on a CV is, uh, so one of the qualifications is, you know, budgetary experience. So you'll get things like, although I haven't directly managed a budget solely on my own, I have got, blah, blah, and you think, well, why have you told me that? You know, that's for me to find out in the interview. And so what we do in the CV and the application form is to give them reasons to want to see you. Once you're in front of them, as you say, you're, you're OK in interviews, you're confident in interviews. I mean, people who aren't, that's another issue mm. that we can talk about. But so just focus on the CV and the application as something which gets you in front of the people who can make the decisions. So in that CV or application form, every fact must lend to weight to your application. It mustn't detract from it. So I don't want any... Um, I can't or I haven't got that experience. That's for them to find out, not not for you to give them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would be interesting now in that light to look back at the application forms that you've written or the CVs you've written. And I think Ruth's point is really good. If you feel self-conscious about that, why don't you just put, you know, four months, which is all we're talking about, travelling the Far East. Mm -hmm. Right, that's it. Oh, right, fine. You know, you haven't been in prison. Um, You know, you haven't... um, you know, been in rehabilitation or whatever, if that makes you feel happier, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think they should be asking the questions on the interview, but if it makes you feel happier, put it in the application form. Mm -hmm. Also, I think people nowadays are always looking for something they can hook into as well in terms of an employer. Um, It could be that they're travelling in the Far East. You know, even detail where you went, just say Far East or wherever, I went to Vietnam, here, da-da-da-da-da. Because that person reading it might have done exactly the same mm. trip and will think fab i did that too wow isn't that great and immediately there's that you're a bit more human they've got a bit more of a picture of you don't have to go into huge amounts of detail but yeah. i think it is good i found in my career if there's ever a south african connection anywhere i go we're like best friends and we've gone for lunch afterwards even if i, I mean most of the times i haven't got the job but you know you you have that moment where you go yeah me too oh yeah that's it you know detail where you did the MA, what you did. Mm-hmm. It's those moments, I think, that make you more human and ultimately more attractive. But I think it's wrong to think that um, people will obviously see the benefit of travelling. I think if you go travelling, you do it for yourself. You do it because it's what you want to do and it's at the right time in your life. Um, if you then can strike a chord with somebody, that's a bonus. And the other interesting thing is your MA. So talk us through why, after doing an undergraduate degree, you decided to do an MA. Well, I went went straight to work. So I'd got my first job before I'd graduated. um, And I worked there for two and a half years. And when you go into the world of work, you think, oh, actually, education was great, wasn't it? (laughs) That that time of my life was fantastic. And I felt after my undergraduate degree, I had so much more to still do. I loved writing essays. I loved learning. So I decided to pick a master's degree that was nothing to do with my undergraduate degree, but that I just wanted to learn about and that was very personal interest. So what was your first degree in? Spanish. Right. And then my master's degree was in American literature. Wow. Um, so it was more of a for me, again, like the travelling, the master's was for me and for my own learning and my own development. And did you take a year off to do it or did you work at the same time? Um, I worked freelance at the same time. Um, but that was very much just to pay my rent. I wasn't really being very um, outward facing with it. I just did work for people that, and companies that I knew. So I wasn't really 
earning a lot of money, but it was enough to get by. No, and you can make quite a lot of that on the CV. But but again, coming to a master's degree, I don't want to talk anybody out of doing a master's degree. But from an employer's point of view, what's in it for me? And American literature with the greatest will in the world. Yeah. You know, I think it may... I, I mean, I did that as part of my degree and I, I was fascinated by it and I loved it. Mm. But does it make you more employable? You see? So, mm. I mean, again, do it because you love it and you want to do it, which mm. is exactly your reasoning. But then don't get resentful if people can't see that that makes you a better human being. Mm. Because in the cold light of business... I mean, if it was a vocational master's, mm-hmm. so if, for example, I know you're in sort of marketing area, if you did a marketing master's, that makes more sense yeah. because they can say, oh, yeah, that, that that's um, coherent. That's that I can see the flow there. But then because it sounds on the face of it, unless you you phrase it properly and you have a proper narrative, a bit whimsical. Yes. So I worked for two and a half years, got a bit fed up, so I went travelling. Mm-hmm. Um, then I did a master's degree in something completely unrelated to my job. Now, the way you've explained it, it makes total sense. If we're in an interview and you explain that to me, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think it shows a real, there's a real strength of character there. Yeah. To have worked, to be pursuing freelance work, not, you know, like you say, you weren't exactly being very ambitious with it, but it was there, it was paying the rent and doing a master's. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, and we've entitled this little episode, Overqualified and Underpaid. Overqualified. I mean, you are very qualified, but from an employer's point of view, are you overqualified for the job? Not at all, but I'm overexperienced for the job. Right. I think that's the key here at the minute. I don't, I'm not going into the entry level job thinking, I've got two degrees here, pay me all the money. It's more that I know exactly what I'm doing and I've worked in this very niche industry for five years. Um, and yeah, I, I can I can do a lot of what I'm doing now and there's not a lot of challenge there. So I think it is the, the experience that I've got that brings more to my role than any of my education background. I mean, you know, I am a great believer in education. I, I, I think it's what well, it's certainly made me. I mean, it's wonderful. But when you say I've got two degrees from an employer's point of view, I mean, I think often what a degree does, unless it's a vocational degree like law or medicine or something like that, what it does is it helps people select because they think graduates are better. But actually, because there are so many graduates now, mm. you need other points of distinction, really. Um, and I think your experience is much more important. Mm. So, you know, the degrees were nice and they, they made you a better person. But I think you need to think from an employer's point of view. You've got two and a half years solid experience working your way up with loads of projects. Then... You financed yourself with uh, freelance work. So you've also worked as a freelance. If I'm an employer, it's the employment history that's more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you need to big that up, mm-hmm. make more sense of that. And not at all, I mean, it doesn't sound as though you are, but but if, if anybody's listening to this who's got quite a lot of educational qualifications and is getting resentful that they're not recognised... That's a waste of effort, you know. Okay, just do them because they're good for you or unless they are strictly vocational. Um, They make you a better person, but from an employer's point of view, are they going to make you more employable? Mm -hmm. Mm, I think jury's out. I also think that maybe that's a part of the confidence problem applying for an entry-level job because I thought I've done a master's that's completely irrelevant. So if anything, that looks worse on my CV than not having done a master's and having spent the whole time working. I I think I'd be more employable then. No, it depends again on the narrative. So it's really interesting to me that somebody who had two and a half years experience then decided that they had to start at the bottom again because they'd taken some time out. You know, let's say you'd taken some time out to have a child. 
do you think you'd start at the bottom again? I mean, most people would say, well, I've got two and a half years experience. I'm not um, an ingenue. I'm not green. Mm -hmm. I've got much more than a recently minted graduate. But you decided, no, no, um, I'm going to go back to the beginning again. Yeah. And that's, I think, a really interesting decision. I think also, I think it was the need to earn immediately after my, I, th I think I, if I had some months after my master's degree where I wasn't earning anything and I was applying for jobs, I think I really wouldn't have enjoyed that. So I, I was like, quick, get into work as soon as you've handed your dissertation in. And to me, the easiest way to do that was to go in at entry level. But you had no experience of going for those other jobs. But that was an yeah. assumption that you made. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you have a lot to offer. But if you don't believe you have a lot to offer, I think that does come off you in waves. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't mean it does mm. for you now. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Quite if you the opposite, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's, but that's it. We've got to get her in front of people. Mm -hmm. And um, you're self-censoring. You're self-limiting. Because mm. you're saying, oh, you know... I really only deserve entry level, really, because I've taken this break to go and do American literature. Well, where's, where's that written? You know, yeah. um, I'd be saying two and a half years. I've got two and a half years experience. Let me put in a few applications. Even if you then got rejected and had to go for entry yeah. level, you know, go a bit higher and mm -hmm. see what happens. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you're someone who loves to write. You love writing essays. You're really good at writing narratives. You need to see your CV and your journey so far as that a similar narrative, mm -hmm. I think, and not see those gaps as a as a negative and something that needs to be glossed over or, or sort of shoved to the side, but make it part of your story. Make it a reason why the employer wants to see you, along with all the experience, of course. That's the relevant bit, but also against the other CV that's pretty bland and doesn't offer anything else, you've got all these other little sparkly moments that yeah. I think would make them go, actually, she just looks really interesting. I want to have a conversation with this girl. You know, let's get her in. It's a very uh, different discipline, though. So it, obviously you are a good writer. Um, but when you're writing a CV... It's completely different. So if you're writing an essay, you, what you want to do is consider all the angles. You want to have reasoned argument. When you write a CV, you want the hotspots. That's what you want. You don't want anything else padding it out. Yep. You know, brevity is really important. How do you encapsulate the skills? And I think a lot of interviews now are competency-based. So what I would... So basically what that means is in order to comply with lots of things like fair selection and stuff like that, reputable employers should have... Um, some kind of job description. So my first advice would be, when you're applying for a job, ring them up and say, have you got a job description for this post? So they send you the job description for the ideal candidate. Now, again, there's another in interesting gender difference here. If a man um, is about 60% of the stuff he's got, he'll apply. A woman has to have 90% often before she'll apply for a job. And I would say, look, do I think I can do this? It might need a bit of imagination. Um, and then what you do with your CV or your application form, actually pick out the words they've used in the job description and give examples of how you can do that in your application, which makes it easier for them to pick you for interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but definitely with competency-based, there's a technique to it more than anything else. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Do you, when you think about your CV now, are there bits of it that you feel like you could immediately go and change? Um, I haven't looked at it in quite a while, which is, <laughs> I think everybody um, feels a bit guilty of that. Um, but yeah, I do feel like there are things I can change, but I think potentially it's not my CV. It might be my perception of my own CV. Yes. Again, that this is the issue. Um, and having not sent it for more senior positions, how will I ever know whether I would have got them or not? Exactly. And yeah. and we all, we'll all have probably a generic CV knocking about on the computer or whatever. But the really important thing as well is to tailor it yeah. to the job. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, in some entry-level jobs now, they have algorithms which pick out what there aren't even people reading them. They're, they're picking out the words that are based on the competencies. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you don't know that and you don't include those words, you might actually not be selected. Mm. So that that's a discipline that's really quite important. Um, but again, you say it's. Uh, but again, you say it's you. You think it's you and your your lack of confidence. I mean, I think that's probably a fair point. Can we talk about where you're working now? Mm-hmm. Um, you do like the job, yes. but it's just not... You, you need to be moving up the ladder. And That's when you started right. in the job, they said, we recognise you're, you're mm-hmm. very experienced, you will move up. That it's now changed because of the dreaded company restructure, which I think we've all experienced at some point many times in our lives, um, where now it's looking more like there will be nowhere for you to go unless you know a load, load of people leave and, and things like that. So... What is the what bring us up to date with the latest from from where yeah, you're working so now? So I just feel a little bit stuck at the minute because I, um, I really enjoy what I do and it's very similar to what I used to do, um, just at a more junior level, um, and I, there are opportunities within the company. It's a growing company. There's a lot going on. It's a really good company to work for actually. So I'd love to stay, um, but I would have to kind of re-specialize. I'd have to move in uh, sideways into a different um a different strand of marketing having spent five years building up a specialism already so it's like do I do I lose that specialism that I really actually love doing or and in order to move up the ladder or do I stay where I am feeling a little bit frustrated or do I go and then risk looking even more flaky on my CV why would you look flaky if you move jobs so <laughs> I think just because of the narrative of it. So I, I finished my last job um, in December 2014, did the travelling, did the masters, um, worked for three months as a travel writer um, and then found this job that I'm in now. So I feel like I haven't actually spent more than a year in the role 
since 2014. No, but there's a very good reason why you'd be leaving this one because there's no advancement for you. Mm -hmm. So again, it's... It's like sometimes if people have worked somewhere for 17 years, they say, God, does that go against me because I've worked in the same place? And I, well, it all depends why you've stayed 17. Yeah. So I'd be asking you why you're looking for another job. And it's simple because you feel that you've you've got more to offer, more skills, but also something you were saying earlier was about pay. You want more money. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about knowing what your worth is. Now, that company has decided that you're not worth paying any more money. Now, I don't, it's not personal. They're not doing it because they don't like you. Mm. But they've had a restructure and they've decided, and I, I, I happen to know it's the charity sector as well. You're never going to earn a fortune in the yeah. charity sector, mm-hmm. right? So that's, and also nothing's forever. Mm. So it might be that you need to get out of there and go and do something else, but you've got to decide what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. So is your priority to earn more money? Mm-hmm. Then you have to move, probably. Right. Is your priority to get a promotion? It sounds like promotion is not going to be forthcoming in the next couple of months. Yeah, that's right. right. So you need to move, mm. right? The, you're in a job. It's always easier to get a job if you're in a job. Yeah. You know, psychologically and also people can see that. Um, and I think you can then go back to your two and a half years as well. The, the narrative is, after I'd had a, a gap, I thought I wouldn't be taken seriously. So I came into entry level. But what I've decided now is, obviously... I can do a lot more. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm seeking to move. Have mm-hmm. you been there a year? Um, no. When will you have been there a year? March. Okay. Um, I'd still be looking around. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to have a year mm-hmm. on, on your CV. Mm-hmm. But if a job presents itself that's very good, I'd go for it. Right. Um, it, my, my daughter is a freelance. And she's been steadily working her way up in her career. And uh, she's she got a year year's contract it, in the area that she works in. That's actually quite unusual, but she got a year's contract. She absolutely loved where she worked, made great friends. But after a year, she really felt that she should be the next rung up the ladder. So she went to see her boss and she said they wanted her to stay. So they were going to offer another contract. And she said, well, I really think I should be the next level up. And they said, we're sorry, we can't do that. So she said, OK, how much more money will I I get, which is perfectly reasonable considering she's a year more experienced than when she started. Mm -hmm. And they said, we're really sorry there isn't any more money. So she said, well, I'm terribly sorry. I'm going to have to leave. And she was upset about that. Mm -hmm. But she's now got a job that she's earning quite considerably a lot more and she's got the job title. Yeah. And I think a lot with women, if people are very sympathetic, they say, I'm so sorry, we just can't afford it. You know, especially in the charity sector, I can imagine how people can, you know, play that one. Very emotive. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't want to. You'd think you'd feel like you're a bad person. Um, but you have to make decisions for you, you know. And if they're not giving you what you want, then you have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to go tomorrow. You don't have to make any quick decisions. But you can start laying plans for the move and you mm-hmm. can start looking around. It might also be worth going to see somebody like a headhunter or an agency and saying, look, tell me the truth. Look at my application and tell me how marketable I am. Mm-hmm. And then really listen to what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump in with a um, with another story here. Kim, who's 52, who says, I have a th- I have three degree level qualifications. She says that the, the title is I rarely get the opportunity to use my wider skills. Um, <clears throat> I love the charity I work for. I'm passionate about what we do, but the combination of very strictly adhered to roles and ever increasing demands on very limited resources means I rarely get the opportunity to use my wider skills, which is frustrating. I don't think there is a one size fits all solution. My observation is that this affects four groups in particular, new graduates, 
older workers, anyone who's had a career break or anyone who needs shorter or flexible hours. Um, she then goes into a bit more detail about what, what happened to her. But I think there's there's a bit of a link here, I think, and it's interesting to get the perspective from an older worker that there is that common thread between Kim mm. and Ellie, mm. which is this feeling that you've done other things, that you've got these wider skills and they're just not being channeled into the job. Yeah, but what's interesting is the, is the vocabulary, is the wording. I don't get the opportunity mm. like someone's going to give it to you. <laughs> if you're doing a really good job doing what you're doing, what possible incentive is there for anybody to give you something else? Because you're really good at what you do. And this is the problem, I think, with a lot of women. You know, one day my prince will come. I will work really, really hard and somebody will come along and go, oh, you're very clever. You're really good. You've got all these skills. Let me give you the perfect job for you. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry to strike a defeatist note, but it, if you want something, you have to make those opportunities for yourself. Now, a good company with good management will say, this person's getting a bit frustrated. Let me talk to her and see what else she can do because I'd really want to hold on to her. She's very valuable. But what you've really got to be careful about is that doesn't turn into resentment because sitting there being resentful and frustrated is really not going to endear you to anybody and not help your career one jot. So again, it's a message to all these podcasts, I think. Try and do it for yourself. Either say, right, my role um, is very limited in the sphere I'm working in. And I'm either, because I love the charity I work for, because I love what I do, I'm going to have to make up with that and maybe try and live a fulfilling private life. Or time to break out a bit and go and find something else. But then people will say to you, but I really love what I do. Right, we'll make a choice. Mm. You can't have everything. Again, sorry. <laughs> I really do hope I had, you know, magical pixie dust that I could sprinkle on things. But this is the real world. So what's the priority? What's the job market like in your sector? Are you seeing jobs advertised that you could, you think you could do? Yes. Yeah. But I think I'm quite wedded to the company that I work for at the minute. And like you say, you can't have everything. So then I've got to make the decision. Do I stay there? Because I really love the mission. I really love the charity and what, what they're trying to do. And that's very fulfilling in itself. Having worked for a private company before that's kind of earning money off the back of a, a market that really doesn't have any. Um, I, I do think I like working in the charity sector. But again, my priorities are potentially a bit different in that I want to feel like I'm a success. And if I'm not feeling that in my current job, then is that more important to me than, than the charity's mission? It's trying to find which, which one. But also, is. and I'm sure loads of people listening to this will have had this experience sometimes you need to step out to come back you know loyal people who work really hard sometimes are not rewarded until they go off and you know let's say you work in a much more hard-nosed environment for two years and you learn lots of new techniques lots of new strategies you can then go back in at a higher level mm. you know so it's about um trying to get that experience to make you more marketable and it's not forever mm -hmm. so you could say you know that I love where I work is really good at keeping you where you are. Mm -hmm. And also just to be upfront with the people you work for. They obviously really like you. They have a lot of respect for you and your experience. They just can't give you the ideal role. Just when, when you do eventually leave, just say, I'll be back. I, yeah. I'm going off to get more experience and I want to come back and work mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. um, Although try not to sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so threatening. Um, yes. So Ellie, has that helped you? It has, definitely, yeah. Good. All right. Thanks, Sue. You're I very think welcome. That was great. The going out to come back in is a it's a good move. I've done it a few times. It does work. 
Um, anyway, Ellie, thank you so much for coming in. If you would like to be on My Career Crisis, we would love to have you come into our little studio and be on the podcast. Um, just get in touch. You can email info at chalkandblade.com or you can tweet us at My Career Crisis. And again, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes because it keeps us on the homepage and that's really important to us. We'll be back with another career crisis soon. Thanks for listening. My Career Crisis. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.